we're about to jump into Matthew 22, and as I'm jumping into this, we're starting a brand new series today that's called Live Green. I had someone come to the church recently, and they saw the name of the church was Greenhouse, and they asked me, hey, uh, what's up with the name Greenhouse? What's up with green? They said, I'm assuming that means you guys are into the herb. I said, excuse me? They said, you know, like you're, you're, in, you're in to, the, to the green, the herb, the Buddha, the chunk. They had a bunch of other names. And I'm thinking, why, why don't you just come to one of the services and listen and, um, and, and see what happens? And so sure enough, they, they did a little. You might be here now. And so today I'm going to finally answer that question, what's up with the green? And I'm going to start by reading Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 34. It says, but when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, They gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great in the first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend or hang all the law and the prophets. Let's pray. God help. In Jesus' name, amen. Give someone a high five, have a seat. The first movie I ever watched that really stirred my imagination and my mind was the movie Hotel Rwanda. It described the the genocide that was taking place, the, the murders, the violence that was afflicting the nation of Rwanda. And it was really, really, really brutal. And I remember coming out of that because it was historical, just wanting to know the history of, of the conflict and the history of the genocide. And, and specifically, as a preacher, someone that is into the nature of humanity. And as I was reading and studying, there were so many lessons to be learned from this. But I was at one point reading where there was a woman that went to a Christian conference of multiple nations in Africa, and, and they were talking about the need to bring people to Jesus Christ, to make converts to Christianity, and to get people to turn to the Lord. And, and this one woman came up to the front, and she had listened to the speaker, and she just finally got his audience, and they were making a space for people to speak. And, and she said, you know, with respect, I just want to say that Christians have come on the rise all across my nation. And there were Christian Hutus and Christian Tutsis. And the problem that I see is that even though Christianity has spread all across Rwanda, it did not stop the genocide from happening. Because while we made Christians out of Rwandans, we never made disciples out of Rwandans. Instead, what we did is we made Christians who were Christians by their religious affiliation but they were still discipled by their Hutu Tutsi tribe. Whatever tribe they came from, their tribe modified their Christianity instead of their Christianity modifying their tribe. We made Christians, but we did not make disciples. I need you to know, number one today, that you are being discipled by somebody. You are being discipled. Your kids are being discipled. Your roommates are being discipled. Every newscast performer has been discipled. Every social media influencer has been discipled. You are somebody's disciple. One of the tremendous breakthroughs of life 
is getting honest about the fact that if you're a parent and you're like, oh my gosh, what's happening to my kids? Parents, let me break this down for you. Your kids aren't just happening. Your kids are being discipled. Your children are being discipled by cartoons and discipled by athletes and discipled by social media and discipled by the phones to which they are probably addicted. You are being discipled. The, the, the reality of life is that most of us are not honest or clear enough about who has actually discipled us. The question I want to ask is on the screen, whose disciple are you? If you come to church, of course, you might say, oh, I'm a disciple of Jesus. And, and many of us would say we're disciples of Jesus, but in reality, a lot of us are actually a compilation. We're, we're part discipled by mom and part by dad and part by Oprah and part by Ellen and part by Elon Musk and part by Grant Cardone and, and part by Surf Mason. Part, and you fill in the blank on whoever it is that's discipled you. We have been discipled in ways that we do not realize. We just haven't called them disciple makers. We call them influencers. We call them teachers and professors and parents. And, and family members and friends and coaches. And we have been discipled. Well, well how do you know? My, how, do I, how do I know who I've been discipled? Well, if, you've got a, if you're on social media, the, 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 the group that's probably discipled, it's when you've posted something online and you wonder, ooh, I wonder what they think about my post. I wonder if they like what I said on Facebook, on Instagram, what I, what I put, the video that I just uploaded. I wonder if they like what I just put on my YouTube channel. It's because there's some people you could care less about. Some people are like, oh, I don't care what those, those people think. Those are not your disciple makers. But when there's those people like, oh my gosh, I, I wonder what they think about what I just said. I wonder what they think about what I just posted. I, I wonder what they think about the house that I'm about to buy, the neighborhood I'm going to move into, the clothes, when we're buying our clothes. Who, who do you have and who is it that you are trying to please impress, fit in with? Who have you been influenced by? Whose disciple are you? My dream is to get a church full of people whose cultures get modified by their Christianity and they don't take their culture to modify Jesus. My dream is a church not full of Christians. I'm willing to forsake the name Christian. I will dump the name Christian if we could get a church full of disciples of Jesus Christ. My dream is that when people look at us, it would be like the early church. The term Christian was not a title people called themselves. It was an accusation that someone else gave them. I want to be accused of looking like Jesus. I want us to be accused of being like Jesus. Not like, oh, you look just like Oprah. You look just like Tucker Carlson. You seem just like Rush Limbaugh. You seem just like, and you feel Beyonce. You're just like, I mean, man, Lord have mercy when 12-year-olds are better at mimicking TikTok dances than we are at mimicking the commands of Jesus Christ. You're like, man, what's it mean to be a disciple? Go look at a teenager watching TikTok. Trying it again, play it again, play it again, play it again. What do disciples do? Do it again, do it again, do it again, say it again, say it again, say it again. Say it. That is a disciple. See, you are being discipled. The question is, whose disciple are you? What, what is a disciple? I remember when I started having kids, and I've got eight, and I, I would see it was just a real joy to have one of your children 
see your shoes and put their little tiny footsies in your big shoes and start to kind of flop around the house as they flop around and you can hear these things because they want to be just like their dad. And I remember one time we have, like, we'd have three kids in a room and we, you know, we have like a, uh, like a bunk bed with a trundle. And so there was this little trundle kind of near the, the bottom. And I remember just watching one of my kids, and I can't remember if it was in the morning or at night or for a nap or whatever, that, that had put my shoes on and had fallen asleep and their little legs were hanging off. And, and you could see the sleeping toddler with their daddy's big shoes on their feet. See, the difference between a disciple and a student is a student needs the information that a professor offers to pass a test. A disciple is not looking for information. A disciple is looking for transformation. Students want to learn what they know. Disciples go with rabbis. A rabbi was a, it was a first century Jewish teacher, but it was more than a teacher because a rabbi, he didn't just have teaching, he had what they would call a yoke. Everyone say yoke. A yoke was more than information. A yoke was, it was a way. It was their take on truth. It was their approach to life. A rabbi would say, I'm going to show you my way, my truth, my life, which is why when there was this one rabbi of rabbis that came along and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. He made exclusive claims no other rabbi could make. He was the rabbi of rabbis and the Lord of lords and the king of kings and the Messiah of messiahs and the professor of professors and the, and the pro, pro, physician of physicians and provider of providers. And I want you to get discipled by him. Whose disciple are you? That's where we pick up today's passage in verse 34. The Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees. It's an interesting little portion in Jesus' life we're reading right now because Jesus is getting challenged. He gets challenged by Herodians. He got challenged by Sadducees, and now he's being challenged by a Pharisee. Now, what's interesting is the Sadducees were like theological progressives or liberals. They did not take the Bible seriously, and you can kind of read that in the, pa- the paragraph before these, paragraphs before these. But there's this idea of these Sadducees that didn't really take the Bible for all that it was saying. And so they were theologically liberal. The Pharisees were theological conservatives. Jesus oftentimes spoke in enigmas and spoke in in odd roundabout kind of ways. He's actually pretty explicit and straightforward in this chapter because you see actually up in like verse 29 when Jesus answered the Sadducees, he said, flat out, you are wrong. (laughs) It's got to stink when the, when the king says, you're, Lord, we've got our opinions here. And Jesus is like, oh, by the way, you are wrong because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. Now, when the Pharisees heard Jesus say this to the Sadducees, the Pharisees were like, snap, we liked that answer. We always love when the Bible rebukes the other side, don't we? Man, I love when Jesus puts them in their place. All I got to say is keep reading. Because when you get to verse 34, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they're like, sweet. They they gathered together. They're like, whoa, whoa, man, this is is good stuff right here. And one of them, a lawyer or a teacher of the law, it's, it's it's a Greek word that refers to this expert. It's a guy that 
that had given his life to this. He had, he, had, he had multiple PhDs in the law of Moses, in the Decalogue, in the Ten Commandments, in, in the, the Pentateuch, in, in the, the law and the prophets. He was an expert in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. Some of them, many of them, had memorized maybe the first five books of the Old Testament, and he's an expert. And they gathered together, and these experts of the law, they, they had identified 613 distinguishable commands. They had found all of these, and, and they knew the law. They knew it backwards and forwards. They knew that there was a moral law. They could give you the, the civil laws. There was the ceremonial law. There were all sorts of different laws. That they had. 613 distinguishable, specific laws that they had. And he comes to Jesus, and he's now, he's now challenging Jesus when he comes to him. And this Pharisee, who's now a theological conservative, it says, he comes up with a question to test him. Now, let's just get real clear what he's doing. He's coming up to give Jesus the litmus test. He's coming up to give Jesus the yoke test. In other words, what's your yoke? What's your angle? What's your deal? What are you about? What are you like? What is it that you do? He's going to give him that. He, he wants to know Jesus's angle. And he's got a question. And his question that he asks him was, well, before I get to that, let me, let me just ask you. What question do you ask? when you're trying to size people up. Talked to someone the other day, this was their opening question. What is your position on LGBTQ? Because when I know the answer to that question, I know if I ever wanna to talk to you again. I'm like, whoa. So you can size me up with that question. Darn straight. There's some people, their, their litmus test question is so. <laughs> Kid you not, someone asked me, what version of the Bible does your church use? Is it the King James? Because if it was good enough for John the Baptist, it's good enough for me. <laughs> Some people right now, like a lot of dialogue going on. Hey, what's your, where do you stand on critical theory? Because when I know what you think about critical theory, I, I know what you think. Or, or in the last two years, how about this one? I mean, marriages have ended over this one. Who did you vote for? Because if you just tell me who you voted for, I know everything I need to know about you. Well, let's just call you God. All I'm trying to say is, I, I want you to appreciate the Pharisee that stands up to the plate and says, all right, give it to me, Rabbi, let, let me see your pitch, and, he, and he's getting ready to, to take his little swing at this. He's asking the litmus test question that you would ask a rabbi in the first century when you wanted to know, and he says to him, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And there were answers that people would give. Someone asked Hillel one time, who was one of the great rabbis, one of the great teachers, and they, would, they asked Hillel, uh, sum up the law standing on one foot. So in other words, you need to give it to me before you get too tired to be able to finish answering this. How would you sum up the law? And he says, I can do it as quick as you want. He says, the whole law is summed up in this. Whatever you hate, do not do that to your neighbor. Sort of the... Jesus gave the golden rule in a positive way. Hillel kind of said it in a negative way. And there was all these debates. What, what's the great command? Is it maybe out of the Ten Commandments? Is it one of the ten? Is it, is it to fear the Lord? Is it to be holy? 
The question on the floor was a question that revealed the nature of the rabbi and the kind of disciple that the rabbi was making. What's curious to me is that Jesus is so often around about. They would ask questions like they even did earlier. Uh, Teacher, we know you're just and good and truthful. Should we pay taxes or not? And, and they're looking for a yes or no. They're looking for, do you pay taxes to the Roman government or not? Should, should, do, do, should you pay taxes to an American government that's going to be unjust and it's going to, it's going to have uh, injustice over here and injustice over there? Should I pay taxes to a government where some of it's going toward abortion and some of it's going toward uh, racial things? Or what, should, should I pay? And you fill in the blanks. They had their questions. And Jesus, should we pay taxes? He's like, show me your coin. And then, of course, they're like, you know, who's inscription? And he asks questions back. Jesus often, if you're the guy, if you are Mr. Scribe, Pharisee, I'm just going to put myself in there because I relate to this. I relate to asking, if I'm honest, I've asked people a lot of questions that I was trying to catch them. Have you? And Jesus would say things like, ah, show me the coin. And they show him the coin. He's like, who's inscribed? Ah, it's Caesar. She's like, well, then give to Caesar what Caesar and God what's God. So they're like, okay. Wait, what does that even mean? That's how Jesus often did it, but not this time. This time he looks him in the eyes, and he gives him as straightforward of an answer as you can possibly have, and he says, you shall, and I know you've heard it a thousand times, but I'm begging you to listen as if Moses just said it, as if Jesus is saying it to you. As if he's looking at you in the eyes and saying, are you downcast? Because this is going to be the answer. Are you depressed? This is going to be the answer. Is your family in shambles? I'm about to tell you the answer. Is, is, is your marriage a wreck? I'm going to tell you the answer. Are you struggling for hope? I'm going to show you the path to the answer. Are, are you angry about the things going on in the world? I'm going to show you the answer. You shall, tell me Jesus, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first primero mandamiento. This is the first command. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend or hang all the law and the prophets like clothes in a closet, literally every command of the Bible hangs on one of these two. You can take the shirt, you can put it here or put it there, but I give you my word, he says, every command of Scripture hangs on these. In Greenhouse, this is where our name comes from. We describe loving God as yellow. We describe loving people as blue. When you put yellow and you put blue together, yellow and blue makes, not just herb, it makes green. Yellow and blue makes green, right? Yellow and blue makes green. Loving God and loving people makes disciples. You are someone's disciple. My question is whose disciple are you? Because disciples of Jesus live green. This is, the, this is what you need to know at Greenhouse. This is what you need to know about the secret to your life. This is what Jesus is letting this Pharisee know as he comes to test Jesus. And his motives, I'm guessing, are 50% pure and 50% impure, just like many, many of us. Disciples live green. And this, this, 
expert in the law who has four PhDs and lets you know about all of his degrees, comes to Jesus with his degrees and his knowledge of the 613 commandments, letting him know, I know all of the commandments. I know this. I've got a master's in this. I've got a PhD in this. I know what I'm talking about. What do you say about the commands? To which Jesus is basically going to say back to him something that you need to understand. There is a difference between knowing the commands and knowing God. There's a difference between knowing the right thing to do and having the heart to do the right thing. There's a difference between knowing you should love your enemy and actually loving your enemy. There's a difference between knowing what the Bible says about forgiving and actually forgiving. There's a difference between reading the command when it says, don't let roots of bitterness rise up in you, and actually not letting roots of bitterness rise up. There's a difference between saying, seek first the kingdom of his God and his righteousness. Seek God first. Acknowledge him in all of your ways. But when push comes to shove and you wake up in the morning, it's easier to put God on the back burner. There's a difference between knowing the commandments Mr. Scribe, and knowing the God who made the commandments, and knowing the heart of the one who wrote the commandments. You know, recently I was, I, I was we were doing some at the house, and I, I said to my wife, I wanted to, I feel like a kid here, I want to go out and play. Hey, can I go play some sports? Can I, can I go to the gym and work out? And can, can I go play some sports? And, and, and my wife, she, she's like, oh, I mean, Michael, we've got these different things going on. And, but then she said, do whatever you want. I said, okay. <laughs> Do whatever you want. That is exactly what she said. Do whatever you want. Well, I want to, I'm going to obey what you said. I will do, quote, what I want. So I went out and played some sports and came back home. I'm sweaty. I mean, it's like Florida heat, you know, it's thick, soupy, humid. I come home, I'm humid. And right as I pull into the driveway, I get out of my car and I start imagining like back in the day, like Olympians coming home. And just palm branches waving around. And like some sweaty Olympian just coming up there and his wife is like, look at you. <laughs> Throwing her arms around him, just like, man, mm, the smell of a man that's been exercising. I'm imagining all these, I got these thoughts in my mind of, of what my welcome was going to be. Let's just say the night didn't turn out like I was thinking it was <laughs> going to turn out. Because although I heard the words, I missed the heart and I missed the points. And what Jesus is letting this Pharisee know is when he's saying that, listen, the, the litmus tests of the law is love. The litmus test of love, your neighbor is actually loving God. The litmus test, you, you name the command, the litmus test is love, which is why if you're reading the Ten Commandments and you get to the command that says, thou shalt not commit adultery, what he's saying is, wait, Mr. Pharisee, and what he's saying to me and what he's saying to you is, listen, 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 it's, it's actually possible that you do not technically cheat on your spouse, but the, the spirit of the command, don't commit adultery, was never just to not be with another man or woman. It was to love your spouse. 
It's not even, I've heard people say, well, well we, we know that Jesus said, well, if it's not even, you've heard it was said, don't commit adultery, but if you look lustfully at a woman, but then you could even get to that and say, well, I, I technically didn't even look lustfully at a woman, and I didn't technically get with another woman, but at the bottom of the command, don't commit adultery, was actually love your spouse. In a way that, that the way, like when you're reading 1 Corinthians 13, it says love is patient, love is kind, love doesn't boast. Love doesn't seek its own way. So when someone says you can do whatever you want, they're kind of giving you permission to not love them because to love them means you don't seek your own way. You don't seek your own. To love someone is you're looking for the good of them. You're looking for the good of him. You're looking for the good of her, not you. So you could technically be obeying the command, don't commit adultery. But what Jesus is saying is, wait, wait, Mr. Pharisee, don't you get it? The reason why it's possible you have been keeping the law exceptionally well and you still feel empty is because you know the rules, but you don't know the rule giver. Because when you know the rule giver, God himself, he is love. And when you get formed into his image, that's why students learn information like the command, don't commit adultery. But disciples get transformation into the image of the one who is love. Love. The, the command to not murder, it, it, it hangs on love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor. See, th this is why if one of you in here right now says, Mike, I have not murdered anybody this week. <laughs> Congratulations. Right? Congratulations. But do, do we not know that behind the murder command, when Jesus would say things like, if you get angry with people and, and linger on that, okay, fine, you haven't murdered someone. Have you ever been bitter with somebody? Because bitterness is just slow murder. Have you ever like harbored resentment? Oh, technically you didn't kill them. You might even say, you know, all I did was I just, I said a few things online, but I didn't mention names, but everybody knew who you were talking about. So what you did is you just kind of sniped them. Okay, well, then I'll stop posting online. No, no, what Jesus is getting at, the litmus test of thou shalt not murder is actually love. The question is not, have you murdered somebody or not technically or physically or emotionally? The question is, have you actually loved somebody? See, in Greenhouse, we break this down in three ways. We say that loving God is yellow. We call this worship. We describe this as worship. To, to love God means to, this, we call this worship. And by this, we mean to, to love and obey Jesus as a lifestyle. This means, Jesus, I'm going to love you and I'm going to obey you. I'm going to do what you say. I'm going to get in your word. I'm going to seek your face. I'm going to love you as my lifestyle, as a lifestyle of, of and that's first. But then from there, we go to the blue. And in the blue, we have, the, we call it mission. And mission, the part that we call mission, this is where we love those who do not yet follow Jesus with courage and dignity. Now, let me be clear on this. What that means is, coming out of a loving relationship with Jesus, I love people that don't yet know him by, number one, I cannot back down because I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. It's the power of God. I cannot back down on Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, the exclusivity claims of Jesus are paramount. There is no other way to God but Jesus the Lord. Be clear on that. There's a boldness, but watch. There's also a dignity because I regularly meet Hindus that do not believe in Jesus 
and yet I will detect in them virtue that's better than me in some ways. Or I'll meet a Muslim, or I'll meet an atheist, or I'll meet someone of you fill in the blank that's of another religion or another faith. And maybe you're even watching right now, and can I just say to you right now, thank you for even being with us. You honor us with your very presence. If you would even watch this, what an honor to... I'm talking to someone recently from another faith that just so moved my heart and how they wanted that which is right and straight, the straight path. So, So that means to love people on mission, it means you cannot look down on somebody. You cannot be condescending to somebody. Because you understand, when you know the gospel, you understand all of us are saved by the sheer grace of Jesus alone, which means I cannot look down on someone of another faith or religion or anything, because, and I've got to treat them with dignity because no matter what they believe about what we believe, they have been made in the image of God himself. That's the, I love people when I'm, when I'm courageous, and some people, they're good on the dignity, but they back off on the, on the boldness part and the courage. We need you to have courage and dignity. And then finally, we love people, and we call this community, and we do this when we love others. We love the followers of Jesus with intentionality and authenticity. This is what we call living in the green, worship, mission, and community, loving God and loving people. And, and this is why there can be a problem. This is why Jesus would say the litmus test is love. And that's why, by the way, it's got to be yellow and blue, not just yellow or blue. It's got to be worship, mission, and community. That's why occasionally I will meet Christians that say, Mike, I'm a Bible guy. Great. I'm a Bible dude. Great. I'm a yellow man. Great. But have you ever known someone that loves the Bible but doesn't love people? And they're like, got them. Mm, the Bible says, and they bring this, and they, and they thump, and, and you ever met people like, my gosh, like, mm, man, you know the Bible, and I don't ever want to get near you because you're so mean. This is why it's not enough to go yellow, like, man, Mike, I, I don't even spend much time in prayer, but I spend a lot of time reading the Bible. It's not enough to be yellow, and by the way, it's not enough to be blue. I'll meet some people like, man, man, I just like to, man, I like, I chill with people. Well, well, do you ever chill with God? No, man, I'm like, I believe I'm, I'm, I'm loving God when I just chill with people. No, 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 because you won't be able to chill with people well until you've chilled with God well. See, see, this is why, see, number one, I would say you're being discipled by someone. Number two, disciples of Jesus, they live green. But here's the third point, and that is that yellow, that green actually starts with yellow. <laughs> the yellow kicks the whole thing. Green starts with yellow, which is why Jesus would say, this is the great and first command. Everyone say first. How do you say that in Spanish? How do you say it in Creole? How do you say it in Arabic? How do you say it in some other language? How do you say it in tongues? No one knows. (laughs) Green starts with yellow. See, here's the thing about humans. Like, we humans... We've always known that there's a God. We just haven't liked the place that he gets just because of who he is. It kind of ticks us off that he gets to be God just because he's God. I was reading about the history of Alcoholics Anonymous this week, and the historian titled the work Not God because he said that stands for the most important hurdle an addict must surmount to acknowledge deep in their soul not being God. 
No mastery of manipulation, no mastery of control at which alcoholics excel can overcome the root problem. Rather, the alcoholic must recognize the individual helplessness and fall back into the arms of the higher power that founders of Alcoholics Anonymous would say is Jesus. Quote, first of all, we had to quit playing God and then allow God to play God. Let me be clear on this. The first command is the first priority. The first command, love the Lord your God. It is the first priority. Not until you go yellow can you even go blue the right way. I will meet people and say, Mike, I'm really good at loving people. I'm just not so good at this loving God. Let me make you a promise. When you do not first go yellow and you do not first love God, your love for people will be twisted, perverted, and distorted. You will turn them into idols. You will mess with your enemies. You won't know what to do with your friends. You will twist every bit of it until you go worship first. When you go God first, when you go yellow first, now you know what to do with people. Now you know how to love people. Now you know what to do with friends and keep them in their place. Love your children without turning them into idols and love your enemies without killing yourself. First things first. Not until you go yellow can you go blue and not until you go yellow and blue can you go green. You will not love imperfect people until you have first Love God who is perfect. How, how do you love your enemy? You, how, how can you love your enemies until first you realize you've been loved by a God of whom you were his enemy, and he took you as an enemy, turned away his wrath, and made you his son or daughter. I cannot love my enemies unless I first loved God. When I talk to people that preach a message of loving people that do not embrace the message of loving God, it is always destined for futility because the fuel for my love for people is an actual encounter with God who is love. Oh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. There are ten commandments in the Decalogue, but commandments number one through four, have no gods besides me, don't, use, uh, don't have any idols, don't use the Lord's name in vain, and, um, and keep the Sabbath. The first four are basically all about God. Commandments six through ten are about loving people. Commandments one through four are about loving God. Commandments five through ten are about loving people. But interestingly, you never break commandments two through ten until you have first broken commandment one. Have no other gods. Which is why Z command is to love the Lord your God with all, 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 all your heart, all your strengths. He's worth getting up for in the mornings. He's worth staying up for at night. He's worth all of your mind and your engagement and your opinions. We need to make the first commandment our first priority. See, this is why if you've got a lying problem, if someone says, Mike, my problem is lying, I promise you, before you ever became a liar, you were an idolater. Before you were ever an idolater, you had a false god. Because if you lie, there's a reason that you lie. If you're lying because you care what someone thinks too much, that person's like a functioning Lord and Savior in your life. Yes, I want you to stop lying, but watch, even if you stopped lying, you'll find another way to serve that idol. 
deal, which is why the problem was not the command, thou shalt not bear false witness. The real problem was commandment number one, you've got another God. Or maybe that you use lies to control people and use lies to manipulate people. And in that case, there's some other control or there's some point of fear that you've got. Like, well, I lie so that I don't lose things because I may lose my job. If I told the truth, I might lose my job, which begs the question, who is your provider? The Lord is my shepherd. Who is your provider? I hope the Lord is your shepherd, right? Which is why if you've ever lied, cheated, stole, even committed adultery, something is going on. Trust me, you've broken. No one ever breaks commandment two, three, four, five, six, eight, seven, eight, nine, ten until they first broke commandment one. Which is why the first and great command is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul. This is why David goes out and he commits adultery with Bathsheba and he murders Uriah. And when he gets called on the carpet by the prophet and he gets caught with murder and adultery, this was his confession in Psalm 51. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Because he understood You never go murder someone on the outside until you have first dethroned God on the inside. Mike, how do we we apply this sermon? What I want you to do this week is I I want you, even even today, I want you to put that QR code up on the screen. I, I want you to commit to living green. All I've said today really is that disciples live green. They live in worship, mission, and community. There's a QR code on the screen that I would suggest that you, you grab a hold of this and you take this. And it's, it's got three, three responses it's asking for. My dream is to have a church full of disciples. My dream is that your family is going to be discipled. This is going to basically ask, will you live a life of worship and mission and community? And if you're still checking it out, we had people last service that were like, hey, I still need more information. I got to think about this. No problem. But if you are ready then I encourage you and I challenge you to take that, even if you're online, take that QR code, watch this down the road, take this QR code and say, I want and I purpose to live green. In your life, I want you to run your discipleship through this. If you're a parent, parents, let let me listen to me carefully. Your children need you discipling them. They need to be discipled. We just had, how many of you came to the family discipleship this past Wednesday? Anybody come to that? We had a marvelous time on Wednesday night. Kids, grandparents, parents, kids are all in the room. We're doing it once a month. We are desperately trying to help families disciple their kids. You know, Brooke with, with, with youth and Samara with kids. And we are, when, next week with fathers, we are desperate about, for, parents, your children are being discipled. I want to go ahead and say, as for me and my house, we're going to be discipled by the Lord. <laughs> Sign up. I, I, I'm serious. I want to know. Like, if you're in, I want to know because I, I will give you more resources that are going to help with that. Tomorrow night, if you want, I've mentioned this before, every Monday night at 7 o'clock in my house, you just do it wherever you're at. We do Bible time. We get together, we'll read a passage. Tomorrow it's going to be the 14th. We'll do um, uh, Proverbs 14 tomorrow night. Go around the circle, read it, and then we pray. If you want to join us for Bible time, I would love you to. You do it right where you're at, in your house. I'll do it in my house simultaneously, somewhere around 7 o'clock. Join us. I would love it. I had a guy come up to me after one of the services right over here, and he's like, hey, Pastor Mike, I'm, I'm looking for my purpose. He said, I, I, just feel, I, I feel like I'm missing something. I'm looking for my purpose. You know, he's thinking about a career change. I said, hey, man, I don't know all the details of that. I can tell you this, though. Your purpose is to make disciples. He's like, yeah, but what does that even mean? I'm like, no, that means you lead people into worship and mission and community. You love God and you love people. Yellow and blue. Make. He's like, oh, the whole green thing? I'm like, yeah, the whole green thing. 
live green. And then help people live green. He said, sounds like alien. I know, we're supposed to be like aliens on this earth. <laughs> I thought about having a little green man icon that could just run out on stage right now. The command, the first one, is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul. Oh, he doesn't say that, by the way, about loving people. With people, it's love your neighbor as. Love God with all? Love your neighbor as. Because I think he kind of knew. You and me would be like, my enemy? I can't, love my, I can't love my enemy with all my heart. He said, okay, cool. Then just love your neighbor as you love yourself. But that does bring up a problem. Because some of us don't love ourselves. I think, and I'm just going to end it with this, actually. In Mark chapter 12, I think this is what I'm picking up on. Because we get the, the, the dots filled in in Mark 12, the same episode. We get the dialogue of the scribe who says, Teacher, you're right. You've truly said that there's one God, no other beside him, and to love him with all the heart, soul, strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself. That is more, and then he says, that is more, and the Greek word is it exceeds, all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. It's an odd thing to bring up because he starts the question, the conversation with commands, but he ends it talking about burnt sacrifices and offerings, which were for sin. The burnt sacrifices and offerings were what you did when you knew the commands, but you blew the commands. You went, you made sacrifices because, oops, I, I, I did it. I did it. I, I'm guilty. And so blood had to get shed, and now you were clean. And so you went back, and you tried to do it again. And, and the problem is all have sinned and fallen short. And when you fell short, there was a provision, which was you came and you, and you made a sacrifice. And, and I think what's kind of going on here is this Pharisee, this scribe, this Ph.D., this scholar, I think he's catching what Jesus is saying because Jesus is saying, hey, you've heard it was said, don't commit adultery. I'm telling you. It's not enough to be technically pure. Do you love in your heart? Because the litmus test of the law is love. The litmus test of life is love. The litmus test of all that you do is love. And I think the Pharisee at this point, I think he's convicted. I think he, he and immediately his mind goes, man, but I'm guilty. Like, even if I keep, what do I do? Like, I keep running back and I keep, what, what do you do when you don't love yourself? When you, and this is the answer to it, friends. If you don't love yourself, you'll never be able to love other people the right way because you have to love them the way you love yourself. But let me just make, this is, this is why it's so important to start with yellow. The reason it's so vital that you go to God first, you should not even look in the mirror unless you've gone to God first. You're not ready to look and do introspection until you look at God first. You are not prepared to face the reality of who you are until you've gone to God. Because when you go to God, you will find the one person in the universe that knows you better than you and adores you anyway. When you come to God you come to the one that sees so much potential in you. He sees the greatness in you. He sees his image in you. Oh, yes, that image has been marred by sin, but it has not been annihilated. And he's the one that's got the magic to let that come out again. He's the one that knows how to take a leper and turn them into something clean. He's the one that knows how to take a sinner and turn them into a daughter or a son. He is the one that can do, and he can take death and turn it into life itself. My friends, if you knew what God thought about you, it would take your breath away. 
If you've had a low self-esteem, I can promise you this. Where you need to go is God. Mike, I don't like myself. What would you suggest? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. This is the first because when you go to him, you're going to find the one who adores you more than you can imagine. See, friends, you, you, can't, you can't love your neighbor right until you love you right, and you won't love you right until you've been loved by him right. And you don't love him unless he first loved you, which is why the first commandment in reverse engineering is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. How? Because he first loved you with all of his heart and soul and mind and up on a cross strength. This, this is why I think when I'm reading the Mark 12 version of this, when the Pharisees, like, and, and he, he changes subjects from commands to sacrifices because he knows he's guilty. And Jesus saw that he answered wisely. And he said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Mr. Pharisee, you can know the rules and you don't know the rule giver. You can know the legislation and you don't know his heart. I, I end it like this. I, I love the story of the little boy that goes in to hear the great Shakespearean actor before a crowded auditorium stand up to recite Psalm 23. And in perfect Shakespearean English, he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. And he goes on, and surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And with perfect intonation and marvelous, marvelous enunciation and emotion, the, the crowd stands up and gives him a, a roaring applause. To which the little boy comes over and he says, Mr., can I try it? And he says, I mean, how do you improve? How do you compete? Go ahead. And the little boy gets up. And through his stutters and his nerves and his fear and his shyness, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And when he gets to surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, there was not a cheer, there was not a clap, there was not a standing ovation because all across the room people were weeping. And there was silence, there was a hush. To which the actor asks him, in all my years of doing this, I've, I've never brought people, how, how did you do that? He said, sir, you know the psalm, but I know the shepherd. You know the psalm, but I know the shepherd. There's a world full of Christians that know the stuff, but I want us to get his heart. And there's some of you that are here today that you've been informed but not yet transformed. And if you're listening to me now and you've never turned to Jesus, I want you to turn to him today.